You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. we got an episode for you here on a Thursday afternoon ahead of Memorial Day weekend. I hope everyone is going to enjoy a few days off, maybe away from normalcy, get a chance to go to the beach, downtime, grill, whatever you're going to do. I know we're packing it up, going to upstate New York for a couple of days this weekend. Before we get to all that, we've got some big Penn State football scheduling news to break down here on the episode. Uh, Black Friday showdown now set between Michigan State and Penn State, the final Big Ten game of this 2023 season. Moving to Detroit, a lot involved there. We're going to break that down in just a minute with Stephen Brooks, who covers the Michigan State Spartans for 24-7 Sports. And just a little bit later after him, we'll look at that whiteout matchup. It's never too early to start thinking about the stepping stones for Penn State toward Big Ten title contention. And when you look at that September schedule, major Big Ten tests arriving in the form of the visiting Iowa Hawkeyes, a team that has certainly given Penn State fits over the years. They've met with frequency despite being in separate divisions within this conference. But David Eicholt, who has been on this podcast like Steven in the past, ahead of some of the Penn State matchups, we're going to get some perspective from him and from Stephen Brooks on what these marquee settings mean for the opponents of Penn State and also a bit of a progress report on how Michigan State is shaping up going into the summer and how Iowa is shaping up as summer arrives. Additionally, today is 100 days until kickoff for Penn State football, September 2nd, 7.30 on NBC. We'll be inside Beaver Stadium to watch a lot of young players have their moment in the spotlight, see if they can ascend to the moment going to be heavy favorites over West Virginia. That will kick off the season. You'll find at lines247.com every single day moving forward between now and September 2nd, our countdown to kickoff series. We launched that today with day 100. Normally we correlate it. Whoever has the jersey number, for instance, 99 tomorrow, it'll be a look at Kaziah Izzard, the defensive tackle. Today, 100. No one's wearing that uniform. Uh, so we did a breakdown of the a transfer class here that the Nittany Lions have brought on board in 2023. So with all of that out of the way and intros, and, and we'll get into our introductions now with our guest, David Eichholt, hanging back uh, in about 10, 15 minutes. We'll break down the Iowa matchup, the whiteout setup. Uh, but right now we begin with the news on Wednesday that captured a lot of attention across the Big Ten community. It was reported on a few days earlier. Now it's official, Stephen. Uh, Penn State, Michigan State, no longer meeting in East Lansing this November. Instead, Ford Field, home of the Detroit Lions, will be home of the Big Ten finale between these two teams. Uh, well, we got a lot to cover here because this was this was caught with, but met with a lot of different reactions on your board, on our board, and I think really across the Big Ten. Yeah, and and maybe I guess I was naive to to think that that wouldn't happen. You know, the the, the passion and the the heat coming off some of the reactions, I, I really did not anticipate at least on the Michigan State side. I'll be curious to hear what you have to say about how Penn State people feel about it. But, man, it was divisive. It was a Twitter civil war yesterday among Michigan State fans. I mean, uh, 
look, and I, you know, it, maybe it caught me off guard because I'm so for it. You know, I, I see way more positives than negatives, you know. So I understand that you gave up a home game. Never good. You know, that messes with people's routines, their, their tailgating, their campus visits, you know, all the things that make college football magical and special and all that stuff. You're taking that one of those away, even though you are getting the same number of home games that you got last year. But anyway, you are taking one of those away. You're, you're disrupting routine and, and people don't, humans don't like change. I get all that. But to me, the positives far outweigh it. Uh, first of all, the primetime Friday night window. I mean, they're going to get for what I think is, and I know we're going to touch on this, but for what I expect to be a, a fully average Michigan state team, if not something a little below that, um, they're going to get a, a primetime national audience, at least to tune in and see that logo, see those colors, that staff and everything, versus if it was on the Saturday and it was buried after Michigan-Ohio State and everything, I mean, it's just kind of an afterthought. Unless Penn State's 11-0 and and, and going to, you know, clinch the Big Ten East and everything, then that would, would change things. But um, I, I think the primetime window works. I think – most of first of all, Michigan State struggles to finish to, to fill Spartan Stadium on any of these Thanksgiving weekend games. Um, Penn State, of course, is a bigger draw than when it was Rutgers or Maryland a couple of times the last you know five, six, seven years. But they still it's it's very weather dependent. It's dependent on Michigan State's record, which again I don't think is going to be anything special. So it, to me, if you struggle to get fifty thousand at your home stadium in what's probably going to be like thirty degrees and something miserable outside. Why not try to get 50,000 inside in Detroit where, you know, it's obviously the biggest population center in Michigan. It's the biggest alumni hub in Michigan, the biggest student hub in Michigan. Players are from there. You know, just a third, and that's lowballing it, of, of whoever would have came to Spartan Stadium is coming from that Metro Detroit bubble, probably more than that. So it's easier for those people. They're going to sit indoors, you know, and, and what I really think they're going to clean up, Tyler, is just the impromptu, hey, guys, you want to go down to that game? It's 30 minutes to get downtown. You know, we got the whole family here for Thanksgiving. We didn't really have plans on Friday. Oh, let's just go buy tickets and walk up and go, you know, versus, hey, you want to go wake up, you know, get the truck packed, drive 90 minutes uh, west to East Lansing, tailgate in the cold for a couple hours, sit in a three-hour game in the cold, and then drive back, you know, tired, cold, and exhausted. I, I really think uh, I think there's a lot more positives to it than negatives. You know, again, I did hear some very heated reaction. And a lot of people are, are not happy, but I think for Michigan State, it's a smart move. I give you a lot of credit, Stephen, because taking the stance you're taking based on the the, the litmus test I, I gave your message board yesterday, taking a peek there, a lot of credit to you because I don't think anyone wanted to hear that rationale. And, and, and we'll dive into that a little bit in a second because there's some stuff I want to push back on and some stuff I'd like to hear more on. But when it comes to some of the logistics that we have to clear up, I know you were in communication with the athletic department at Michigan State in terms of impacting future scheduling, which who knows what that looks like as Big Ten expansion is looming. But between Michigan State and Penn State annual rivals, uh, annual matchups, what are we looking at moving ahead? And then additionally, how are season ticket holders of the Spartans impacted by this move? Sure. So uh, I sent a quick message to athletic director Alan Haller. He fortunately got back to me pretty quick and just said his words, no impact on future scheduling. So I very much expect to be back at Happy Valley in 2024. And then I think it's all getting torn to shreds after that, or maybe even before, I guess, uh, whenever, you know, um, that big reset happens. Obviously, we have the additions and then the playoff expansion that's going to change a lot with the sport. So, but yeah, as far as I know, this is considered, you know, it's, it's Michigan State's home game that they're giving up and the rotation is not affected um, as we stand today. But again, that could all change pretty quickly here, I guess. Uh, in terms of season ticket holders, 
yeah, that's, you know, that's where I do sympathize with some people like that they've already paid their money. They've already made their decision and their commitment that, hey, I'm going to go forward with this. I'm going to buy tickets. And then the picture changes on them later of what they were actually buying. Um, I think Michigan State's doing the right thing, obviously, by just they're offering refunds. And they also will get priority um, based on their donor rank or however that works. Uh, I'm not in that world exactly, but uh, they, they will be getting priority to a degree at least uh, to buy tickets for the Ford Field game. So I, I know everyone would like to snap their fingers and just say, oh, the ticket translates. You, go, you were going to Spartan Stadium, now you're going to Ford Field. But it, the capacity differences, you know, it's a, it's, it's a building you don't own, all those things like – there's way more involved than to just say, all right, take your ticket from here and go use it over there. So I get why that can't happen, even though that would be the smoothest route. So they are being offered full refunds for tickets and parking. And again, have the, the priority opportunity to buy the uh, tickets at the Detroit game. So they're being taken care of. Uh, you know, I know it's a couple extra steps, um, you know, but I think they're being taken care of as, as well as they can be. So it's basically a reset in some ways from a ticket standpoint. I know that on our message board, some fans from the Penn State community have already jumped on them. They're, they're kind of incorporating it into their Thanksgiving weekend plans now. It's a shorter drive for, for people if they're coming in from the east or from the northeast uh, versus going to East Lansing if you want to kind of stack that stuff up. But what I'm looking at here is the matchup being in Detroit, you know, 70 degrees, people can, can feel comfortable. They can wear a T-shirt. They don't have to anticipate, what do I need to pack for East Lansing? And then, as you said, Spartans, who knows where they'll be win-loss-wise going into late November. There's an expectation here at Penn State that they could be playing for an opportunity to go to Indianapolis the very next Saturday. So might be a lot of motivation for Penn State fans to say, seize the moment and say, we're going to Detroit. We're going to try to see them win a Big Ten title and making that decision here in May or into the summer. Is there a general concern in East Lansing among Michigan State fans that you're hearing from that this suddenly turns into a swarm of Penn State fans a bad look for the university, a bad look for Michigan football. And then, oh, by the way, you're coming to Beaver Stadium again next year. Definitely. I think that's where a lot of it stems from. Um, you know, I'll be curious to hear what you think and what you're, what you're seeing, Tyler, in terms of does, is this, does this now become more attractive to Penn State fans? Do you expect that number to grow a lot? Because I guess I just overlooked that a little bit or didn't didn't think it would be a massive uptick, you know? I mean, it's the day after Thanksgiving, I think, which for some people, of course, some people might make it an event and take the whole family with you, and it's a good deal, but other people might be like, eh, you know, it's not Saturday. It's it's kind of my family time. I'm going to sit this one out. Um, does, does going to Detroit where you can just fly right in and stay right in the city and everything, does that make it easier or more or less appealing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the, the roof and everything, the climate control will. But yeah, that's definitely that's probably the number one concern I heard. Um, not just Penn State fans, but the paranoia of the the neutrals, you know, the Michigan fans in the Detroit area um, spilling in there and and you know uh, rooting against Michigan State. Yeah, there, there's definitely concern about that, um, and I think that's valid. But it's it's going to be so dependent on uh, I, you know, both teams' records, of course, um, but definitely Michigan State's. You know, if, if this is a three or four win team. I don't know what the what the turnout's going to look like, you know, uh, just like it wouldn't have been great at Spartan Stadium. But uh, if this is a team that's five, six, you know, not, not even five, probably but six or seven wins, you know, and, and is comfortably in a bowl or even playing for a bowl, maybe a five going into it, um, I think it'll be decent. But, yeah, that, that is a concern. Um, I don't think any Michigan State fan realistically expects to win anyway, though. And I don't think Michigan State as a university, as a program, would have moved this game if they thought they were, you know, a contending type of team uh, that had a shot at the Big Ten and more, you know, I think there's kind of a 
quiet acknowledgement that this is another rebuild year. And if you were going to do something like this and show your face in Detroit and, and engage with the alumni out there and all those different things, this is kind of a year to do it. And this is the weekend to do it. Where, Like I said, I mean, so many of those people who would have came and put their butts in Spartan Stadium already have their butts at home within a 30 minute radius of Ford Field, you know, 45 minutes, yeah. let's say. So uh, that's yeah. But, but in terms of them invading, I heard that a lot. I don't. I guess I'll spin it back to you. I mean, do you think this dramatically increases increases the likelihood of people wanting to pack up and come out here with the not just the venue change, but also moving it up a day as well? I mean, Thanksgiving weekend complicates things. I mean, there's just not as much wiggle room to to, to back out of plans. But you do have a scenario where look, the kids are off that Friday and they're off that Thursday. If you want to plan that family trip, I mean, it's tough to get to a college campus for a Saturday noon kickoff if you've got kids, right? So if you can yeah. plan it around the holiday, whether or not you've got family in Michigan, there, there, you got plenty of more hotel options now, legitimate hotel options being in a major city, metropolitan area versus a college campus. And again, I mean, look, take the temperature of your fan base right now versus the te temperature that I'm seeing. I would say people are approaching this season like Christmas Eve. People are legitimately thinking this could be the, the best assemblage of talent in Happy Valley on the football field since 1994, potentially. So there is a major hype train moving forward. Whether or not it gets derailed by the time we get through September or into October, that remains to be seen. But if people are trying to plan out, hey, what game do we want to go to on the road? Hey, wh what, what are we willing to do to, to follow this Penn State team that we think might be a really generational opportunity for us and our kids? And versus what the feeling is for Michigan State fans looking ahead to this season, how they're prioritizing it. I think that's where there is an opportunity for a real swell of Penn State fans. Now, we'll see if it comes to that. Uh, but I think in terms of offseason ticket purchases and who's going to be more motivated to set up shop and make plans for Thanksgiving weekend. Right now, I would say Nittany Lions fans. Uh, and, and we'll see if that actually happens and what that field looks like. But to me, there's a danger here if you're Mel Tucker, because if you have another dud season, um, I, I know that him, James Franklin are kind of, you know, they both got those huge contract extensions in the same window, but Franklin follows it up with an 11 win season. Tucker follows it up with what happened hovering around 500. And, and, and you get to the point now where if it doesn't go uh, bounce back this year, you're limping to the finish line. You've got a lot of eyes. There's nowhere to hide Friday night, Black Friday, NBC primetime coverage. Here comes Penn State. And if Penn State's as good as we think they might be, it's going to be a very tough matchup for the Spartans. And then the next day, you may have Michigan trying to compete for a third consecutive Big Ten title on Saturday against Ohio State. So when I look at this, there is a potential for a lot of storm clouds to gather over East Lansing and Mel Tucker come Thanksgiving weekend. And, and I know your fans hope that I'm way off there, but I think there's a possibility that that is now laid out for the Spartans that, that you do not want to end up with. Definitely. Definitely. You know, and that's why, like, right now I'm kind of saying, I mean, it's look, it's not it's not my uh, bottom line. And I, I truly I don't have a rooted interest in it. But I mean, if you're a Michigan State fan, go buy up the tickets. Right. And make sure that that doesn't happen right now. Don't wait to see if they're a three or four or five win team or whatever that is. You know, if, if you care about that and you care about that perception, that image, go buy up the tickets right now and, and, and do your you know do your part to make sure that doesn't happen. Um I would say, I mean, I just think that the, the where the two programs are right now, the, that a beatdown could happen, Ford Field, Spartan Stadium, East Lansing High School, you know, uh, <laughs> Happy Valley Tech, you know, anywhere. <laughs> so I, I don't think – the eyeballs, of course, with the, with the primetime Friday night window, yeah. Um, but I still think even that, you know, even if it gets bad, I still think you're probably better off with that national audience than hiding sort of in, the, in a second-tier window somewhere on Saturday. Um, but yeah, so much of of where Penn State is is gonna is gonna um, 
affect that. You know, if they've already clinched the East, if they're going to clinch the, you know, playing to clinch the East or something like that, that's going to, that's going to change the dynamic a lot. And I guess that's probably something that I didn't factor in yet. I definitely think very highly of Penn State and I wouldn't blow my socks off to see them representing the East. But to me, mentally, I still kind of have like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State three until sort of proven otherwise. I know there's a, there's a lot of promise over there and everything, but mm-hmm. so to me, I'm still looking at like a 10 and two type of team. And I just mentally, when I'm doing all these calculations and trying to look at every angle, I'm like, yeah, they'll, they'll show up in droves, but I don't think they'll really be playing to win the big 10 East necessarily. I mean, if, it, if that happens, obviously the whole thing changes, but um, it, if when that I'm, happens, then, then if that happens in Michigan state, yeah, either way, if Michigan state's a six win team or even an eight win team or a nine win team, that doesn't matter if it looks like it's a playing game for Penn state to get to the big 10 title, you're going to see a lot of last minute purchases from this fan base, but that's several months down the road, but this is going to be an interesting scenario regardless that this Black Friday showdown and, and we'll see if it becomes a Big Ten staple. And, and and it's hard to like, I think it's hard to take anything for granted in this particular series. It's tied 18, 18 and one all time. And when you look at how this series has gone year by year, there, there's something to be said about not knowing exactly what you're going to get out of these programs, whether it's going to be one of those 11 win seasons, which we've seen from both of them in the last five, six years. Or if right. it's going to be something that ends with seven and six and and a, and a lower end bowl. And and when I look at year by year here, James Franklin one and three in his trips to East Lansing as Penn State's head coach. And I think about the last three times that this team went on the road to East Lansing. 2017, of course, a notorious. Uh, people are going to get pissed at me for even talking about it on the podcast. But you had a, what a three hour lightning delay in the middle of the game. Penn State ends up losing on a last second field goal in the rain. Uh, and then the the following trip, 2019. Bad Michigan State team, really solid Penn State team, uh, solid win for the Nittany Lions, but it was a terrible weather game. I mean, it was the fans didn't look happy. The players didn't look happy. I know our photographer got drenched that day. And then two years ago, 2021, Michigan State wins in a snowstorm where there's plenty of snow on the field that day. So all of a sudden we're talking about comfortably wearing a T-shirt inside and knowing you can do that on a dry track of a field. It really does change the dynamics because if you're looking at November in State College, or November in East Lansing, you're expecting sloppiness. You're expecting uh, you know, right. classic Big Ten weather. Now that's off the table, and I think that's really interesting because we don't see weather go off the table in the Big Ten in late November and what could be a really important matchup. So that's a big curveball. Let's let's close it with this. Can you give us kind of a summary of where this Michigan State team is coming out of the spring, entering the summer, uh, about 10 weeks out of preseason camp, there's been so much change uh, uh, for this for this group and, and late transfers and, and your starting quarterback goes in. And so can you help us make sense of where this team is right now? It's been very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde these last few years. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I always seem like I have to start with either 2020 or 2021. And just, you know, you really kind of do have to trace it back from the beginning. In 21, uh, the snow game, and that season you referenced everything, I actually got a text from somebody who was on staff at the time that night, I'm sitting up in the press box and the field is all covered again. And uh, the gist of it was um, almost verbatim was, I can't believe we just won 10 games with this roster. And that was in 2021. So that just gives you an idea of, you know, the, 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 the perception changed rapidly. Like, Oh man, Michigan state, they're going to on this rebuild, they're going to skip a couple steps and they'll be back sooner than everybody might think. And that was just, you know, it's not like that the wins were fake. Like Kenneth Walker certainly wasn't fake. Like that all happened, but it was not realistically indicative of where the program was. It was that one team with some good pieces and one great piece, uh, but it was not a reflection of where the program as a whole was. 
And now we're seeing that, like we're now we're seeing Mark Antonio's final classes trickle through as juniors and seniors. And those classes, you know, had really fallen off in the rankings. They were basically competing with, you know, high end group of five schools, low end power five schools for recruits at the end of the D'Antonio era there. So, I mean, there's some of that sort of, I hate to use the term like rot, but I mean, it's kind of like the most accurate that's, that had been left in the program and is now coming to the surface. Um, so anyway, all that to say is this is definitely still a program that's that's on that stairwell on its way back up. Well, we'll see. It's, it's somewhere on that stairwell. I guess I can't even guarantee that it's on the way up, but it's definitely on the stairs. Um, it's a team that I thought even, let's say, January 1st, you know, I would have said just make a bowl game ceiling of probably eight wins ceiling everything going perfect and a floor of probably five wins again is what I was said in January and probably would have put them right in the middle of like six or seven wins in a bowl game which is enough to sort of save face and it doesn't kill your momentum it doesn't skyrocket you as a in, a, in recruiting but it doesn't just pop the balloon completely and, and you're sort of stuck in mud you know it would have been enough I think it will be enough if they were able to do that to keep things st- steady and level enough to where they're an interesting program. They're not a flat program on the recruiting trail because they still have to recruit several good classes to turn this thing around. Uh, they have a couple good, you know, a couple good ones logged in the bank right now, these last few, I would say, but they still need more there. So I think just making a bowl game is a real, you know, you cannot miss two bowl games in a row when 80 schools or whatever are going to bowls these days, 70, whatever it is. Um, that's really the bare minimum, but I just don't, I don't see them as being, that much more than that, especially now, as you mentioned, losing Peyton Thorne and two-year starter quarterback. I don't think he was the highest ceiling guy for him, but decently high floor too. A lot of experience, a guy they really, really trusted line of scrimmage uh, to change things up, get him in the right situations that just had been in those fires before. But then you lose your best player on the roster. Keon Coleman uh, is a guy who I think has all American talent uh, probably would have pushed for depending on production, you know, but all American talent about probably would have been a first team, all big 10, uh, type of player, give if his numbers were, were right, but very very talented. For, for our listeners out there, for our listeners, Stephen, they left after spring practice. I just want to make that clear sure. for our listeners. This was a a major wrench in the plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both guys went through spring ball. Peyton Dorn was battling for his job. Um, technically, you know, from what I understand, he was still told leaving spring practice that it's not your job, but you are in the lead. Is is basically what was communicated to all three QBs uh, who were battling for it. So. He decided to transfer and went to Auburn pretty quickly. And then Keon Coleman uh, also transferred the same day on April 30th, the last day for uh, non-graduates to enter the portal. So, yeah, both guys went through spring ball. And Coleman, at least, like I said, he was our best player. I'm very, very high on him. I think he's a day two pick at worst. I think he could definitely be a day one pick, uh, whether it's next year or the year after. Um, Super, super talented kid. So that was a major blow. You don't just replace your best player. And the thing with him is is he – he would have until we get to the season. Yeah, I don't know, but he was at least like a sure thing for this offense, or the, the closest thing to it. He was something that somebody they could hang their hat on. You lost Jaden Reed, who who was a good, nice piece, a second round pick at receiver. You don't have a stud running back like twenty one, like Keon at 6'4", 200 pounds, leaper, triple jump, basketball background, all this stuff. I mean, he was a guy that at least uh, you'd have one thing offensively you could hang your hat on. And now I I really don't know what that is. I don't know if there's one thing that you can say this offense does. Well, you know, I think they've got a lot of good skilled players now. They've just lost their one great one, and now you're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. So tons of questions about this team. And, you know, just playing it out, it's it's hard to it's hard to see them overachieving, I guess, is the best way to put it. 
today is May 25th. Why don't you and I circle back six months from now, uh, back in Ford Field uh, for that matchup November 25th between Penn State and Michigan State. We'll have a, a lot to talk about before then. We'll have you on the podcast again ahead of that matchup, I hope. Uh, Steven, thanks for giving us the latest on Michigan State. Interesting week, to say the, to say the least, and I uh, appreciate you for coming on and giving us your insight from East Lansing. Definitely. Thanks so much, Tyler. I'll talk to you soon, man. Um, I'll be here whenever you need me. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Continuing to tap into the 24-7 Sports Network and very appreciative to have the nation's best group of colleagues here who cover the game. We go to David Eichholt now, who has uh, been a fixture whenever we have uh, an Iowa game to look forward to. We didn't have that last season, but he's been on the podcast a couple of times to preview those matchups. And now he comes on for a very early look ahead to the Hawkeyes September trip to Beaver Stadium, now billed as the 2023 whiteout matchup. David, good to see you again. Yeah, you too, man. It's been, uh, I'd say it's been too long, but I'm very, very excited. I'll be making my first trip to uh, State College this year. So I'm, I'm ecstatic about it. Always respect to the whiteout. And uh, I think it could be one of the more marquee Big Ten matchups, especially early in the season. Well, you've got a few places to crash if you don't feel like, uh, you know, charging <laughs> CBS uh, to, for that trip. But um, certainly excited to see here. You're a rising star at 24-7 Sports. You've done a fantastic job killing it on the Iowa beat these last several years. And and, and now I want to get into it with you. We, we discussed what that Michigan State kind of perception of their Black Friday meeting with Penn State looked like. I've heard plenty and I've seen plenty about the whiteout matchup about Iowa and what it means to Penn State fans. What was that news met with last week on your message board by all those Hawkeyes fans who know they're heading to Happy Valley for a whiteout? I mean, last time I think Iowa played in a whiteout game, I think Iowa fans were pretty happy with the result. I think it was the Adrian Claiborne blocked punt in that fourth quarter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a cool thing. I think the Iowa fans, I don't want to say we're intimidated, but they know like if they beat Penn State this year, I think it could set up for a potential special season. I mean, that's one of those real, real momentum changers for the season. I'm very high on Iowa this year, despite all the national ridicule with the offense. I 100% agree with it. I 100% agree with all the criticism that has been lofted toward Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz throughout the offseason. But I think fans are just very excited. I think it's a big-time, primetime opportunity for them. And the more I've read about Penn State and really kind of dove into their roster, the more I'm kind of thinking, you know what, they they might really break into that Michigan-Ohio State tier this year. I'm very high on both those guys uh, as well. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I think, again, just the more marquee matchup it is, I think it kind of gives Iowa fans a little bit of an eerie feeling because I think, you know, when they get in these big primetime games that are going to be washed by everybody with the whiteout game, with everything like that, Iowa fans are just afraid that they're going to do just enough to compete but not come away with a victory. So I think that's probably the overarching feeling I have. But, you know, I think there's a real renewed sense with this football team that, you know, they could do something this year. They're expected, I think, to make Indianapolis, despite Wisconsin and, you know, Luke Fickle, who I think is a top five coach in the country with what he's accomplished. And I'm very eager to see what he can do at Wisconsin, but it's always tough in year one. So, yeah, I, I think fans are excited. I'm curious how many Iowa fans try to – try to make the trip out to state college. And uh, if I was three and oh heading into that game, I think it, uh, it's going to amp up to a whole different level. 
Yeah, and if Penn State's unbeaten, and there's certainly a lot of presumption they will be there, uh, there's going to be a lot of intensified focus on what this team can accomplish in Happy Valley. On the other side of the division, it, it seems like Iowa was uh, was part of the East Division or vice versa for a while. There's six straight years, David. We saw these teams play. It ended last year, but the first four of those, Penn State comes away with wins. Some of them were improbable. Of course, the Trace McSorley walk-off touchdown pass to Jawan Johnson that yeah. will, I'm sure, will live in infamy in, in Iowa City. And then the last couple – Iowa got their blows back in, and and the one that really stings for everyone was the last time they met in, in 2021. 2020 wasn't a fun experience. It dropped Penn State to 0-5, but it's so hard to wrap your head around what that season was. 2021 was all in front for Penn State. They were 5-0. and They were winning on the road at Iowa. They were bringing that crowd down a notch, and of course, you saw the second half went after Sean Clifford was out. You heard some of those boos that were talked about a lot in the aftermath. James yep. Franklin, uh, Kirk Ferentz. What are we thinking about the lead up to this one? These are a couple of of, of longtime uh, Big Ten elder statesmen. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna put James Franklin in that category. No one's close to Ference, but he's got a decade yeah. now in this conference. But there is something brewing from last time, and I don't think it's been resolved to this point. I know it hasn't been resolved on social media. <laughs> no, never. I mean, our message boards too. Let's just get that get that out there as well. Yeah. No, I think it's gonna be. It's kind of one of those unspoken rivalries. I really think, as you mentioned, over the past decade, it's really sort of emerged that I, I think it used to be a little bit respectful, and now I just think I don't want to say it's full on hatred, but it definitely ramped up to a whole new level. Obviously, as you mentioned, the Trace McSorley game, I would mention Saquon Barkley put together the, probably the most impressive individual performance in Kinnick Stadium history, in, in my opinion, especially from an opposing player. I think that's one of those things where Iowa fans could do nothing but, uh, you know, sort of tip their cap with, with what he accomplished. But, you know, again, I, I'm very curious what Iowa's energy is going to be like. And that 2020 game and that 2020 season, I have a hard time really even taking it for anything and no matter whoever won the national title that year, I don't even remember. But Iowa really finished six and two. They had the last two games canceled due to COVID. And wrap your head around this, Tyler. With all due respect to Spencer Petrus, because he has been phenomenal with the Iowa media. Week after week, he got crushed by the media, went out there, spoke with us very respectfully, thoroughly, etc. Iowa averaged 32 points a game with Spencer Petrus as a starting quarterback that year. And that's kind of – then you look at what happened in 2021, right? And it sounds like 50. That year. sounds like 50 when it translates to Iowa. It, it does. So it's just one of those things where I, I don't, really can't take too much away from that. But to get back to your question, I, I really think that it just ramped up the unspoken rivalry. I think if Iowa somehow pulls off a win on that whiteout in that week four game, I think that would be the quote – no, hear me out on this. Penn State fans will not agree. But it's the best thing if you want to continue to ramp up a potential rivalry between Iowa and Penn State. I've always said the more upsets there are in primetime games, the more the respect factor sort of factors in, the more kind of thirst you want to get to beat them. And I mentioned the same thing with Iowa and Nebraska. Iowa beat down Nebraska so many times in a row before this past season that it got to a point where it started to become more of a media kind of forced rivalry but now after everything and after Iowa beat Nebraska so many times, Nebraska had nothing to do but start to respect Iowa. And now that's a legitimate rivalry. So while I don't think it'll really get to that legitimate rivalry level, I'm all for the hostility. I'm all for the games that we've sort of seen. The Nico Regini touchdown, the Trace McSorley walk-off. Like, I live for this type of stuff. So I'm all for it. And I'm eager with Cade McNamara what the energy and that swagger is going to be like for an Iowa offense that – really hasn't had an uns kind of a spoken out leader like that at quarterback since maybe Ricky Stanzi.
let's get into it with Cade McNamara because he makes the move from Michigan. He's a guy who handled himself really well with, with a tough situation, losing his starting job with the Wolverines early last year after being the starter en route to the Big Ten title the season before. We saw him come to Beaver Stadium, uh, late touchdown pass, more of a defensive breakdown on Penn State's part, but that was the difference in the matchup back yeah. in, in the fall of 2021. He makes the move, and I think everyone's initial reaction was you're transferring as a quarterback to Iowa, and and to your credit, you mentioned earlier, you, I believe, has, have been as critical and, and, and deservingly critical of father and son Ferentz uh, and, and what it's meant on the scoreboard particularly and what it's meant in terms of total yardage and all the different benchmarks you lay out for an offense here in modern football. Uh, what do you think of this marriage, Cade McNamara and an offense that clearly needs to, to get with it and, and, and move forward and far away from where it's been? Yeah, I don't think I'll be getting any Christmas cards from the Ferrants for the next several years. Let's put it that way, based on some of the stuff I've said. But, you know, here's the thing. I think Kane McNamara is going to work out really well for Iowa. And the main reason I say that is you know what you're getting out of them. How unpredictable has Iowa's quarterback play been over the last few seasons? I mean, I thought Nate Stanley was a fine quarterback, really struggled against Penn State, really struggled. He was awful here in Beaver Stadium, really Which is bad, unbelievable. Really bad that's the same quarterback who threw five touchdowns against Ohio State when Iowa beat him 55-24. And that was a legitimate national title contending team that year. And Nate Stanley was 26 touchdowns, six picks. But, you know, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He couldn't hit water if he fell out of, an, out of a boat in the middle of the ocean, right, especially that day. But I think Cade McNamara is a very high-floor guy. He's consistent, and he has a low to medium ceiling. But Iowa football needs consistency and can be in terms of being able to move the football because they were consistent last year, consistently not good. But uh, again, I, I think you look at what the pieces Iowa had last year, I think it was far more than a Spencer Petras problem. I think it really started to showcase that. So, as critical as I've been, and I've been on the record saying Brian Ferentz should not have been retained in any sense, if he was not Kirk's kid, he would not be retained. But I also give Brian and Kirk a lot of credit because they've attacked the transfer portal. They can't complain about personnel anymore with those main players they brought in. And it was capped off with Ohio State wide receiver Caleb Brown, who I think is going to be Iowa's number one wide receiver by the time Iowa plays at Penn State. They get Eric All. They get a pair of offensive linemen. And if Cade McNamara does not come to Iowa, none of this comes into fruition. I mean, I, I started to hear rumblings about Cade McNamara potentially transferring to Iowa back in the middle of October. So right when McNamara wow. hit the portal – it was pretty pretty open and shut. And he was approached by some big-time schools for what I'm hearing as well. But he identified Iowa's defense. He said that was a big reason because you know what you're going to get out of the defense. And he said, look, I'm a, you see what Kirk Ferentz has done? If, if Kane McNamara leads Iowa to a Big Ten title and Iowa is in the top 80 offense, I mean, I think Iowa fans are going to want to build a statue outside Kinnick Stadium for Kane McNamara after what they've had to watch for the past few years. But I think the biggest thing for him – and he's already emerged as the team's leader. He was voted a, a team captain for the Hawkeye Spring Championships, which is by, and that's voted on by his teammates. And he only arrived on campus in January, so I think that showcases a lot of what he's brought to the table. And Caleb Brown also said it was quarterback stability and a big reason why they came to Iowa was because of Cade McNamara. So, if you aren't living the transfer portal era. Let me put it this way. Iowa's offense now is being led by a former Buckeye and a former Wolverine who have decided to team up to get some revenge on the Big Ten East. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm very eager to see. I think Iowa's going to do a lot of the same things, but I also think they're going to go back to what made Iowa's offenses at least watchable. Run the football, 
utilize the play action, go down the field. And Iowa has not done that for the past two seasons. I will say I did not see the, this big transfer portal moment coming for the Iowa football program, considering <laughs> the, the current regime in place. And I'm just looking at the schedule that precedes the trip to Penn State in September, opening with Utah State at home, a, a trip to Iowa State, which is always interesting in Ames, and then Western Michigan visits Iowa City on September 16th. That sends them to the Week 4 matchup. This is 8 p.m. CBS. It's the first primetime game on CBS that Penn State has played in at uh, at home. It's the first home game they played in CBS this century. They hadn't played in on oh. CBS uh, this century except for the Auburn game last year. So yeah. look, they open. They they have this now bookend with uh with, with Big Ten matchups on NBC where they've got West Virginia to start it and then now Black Friday to finish it for Michigan State. They they got this matchup in September CBS primetime and we haven't even gotten into the Ohio State Michigan games and what they're going to mean for Penn State. So what I'm saying is there is a glaring spotlight on the Nittany Lions. I think they sense it right now. It feels like they're embracing it. They have major tests to come. They'll open against West Virginia, but they're going to be expected as, as long as they handle their business that day to be 3 and 0 when West Virginia comes to town. Tell me what the vibe is in Iowa City right now, realistically, because this is a team. I'm going to double check it here, but ten wins in 2019. They go six and two in 2020, which is uh, they were one of the better teams in that situation. Ten wins yeah. in 2021, then eight and five last season, and and there's oh, I feel like every time I have you on, I say, are we reaching <laughs> the the twilight era now of the Ferentz uh, Ferentz regime? And and every time he's still the coach when we talk. Yeah, and that 2020 season, I think it's important to note, I would argue Iowa was arguably the hottest team in the conference because they lost their first two games, and then Iowa went and just absolutely pounded Michigan State. And I also say that was one of the most important victories in the Ferentz era because if they start off 0-3 after the racial discrimination you know, that was going on, I think it sort of tumbles. But, you know, Kurt Ferentz says he still feels as good as he has. I think right now he's still a, a couple wins shy of getting Hall of Fame eligible. I don't think he'll ever say it's important to him. I think it is very important to him. But I would also argue if Brian was not retained, I don't know if Kurt Ferentz would have been the head coach this season. I, I really – in that I've heard a couple rumblings about that. I'm not reporting that. But there was some behind-the-scenes talk that if Brian Ferentz had decided to move on, that Kirk might not have been the coach. But – it's not going to surprise me if Kirk's here for another three or four years. It, it really isn't. I think I felt more comfortable saying that he was going to leave a couple of years ago than I do now. But I also think going back at that time in 2020, I think that sort of gave him renewed energy after what we thought a football season was not going to happen. I think he got a glimpse of what retirement would have been like. And he said, I'm so bored. I don't know what to do. I'm not ready to go bird watch. I'm not ready to go learn how to make pie in the kitchen, right? He didn't want to go on to those all of the other activities. So I think Ferris is going to be around for a little while. I think the recruiting, he's never been better. He's off to a very hot start in this upcoming recruiting cycle. I think Iowa right now is ranked 18th by 24-7 sports. And uh, yeah, and I think you look at some of the talent they're getting across the board. I think the big question is, what's Iowa's offense going to look like? Because we haven't mentioned it yet. What about the worst contract amendments ever to be made public in the history of college football with Iowa needing to win seven games and average 25 points a game for Brian Ferentz to be able to retain his title as offensive coordinator next year. And you look at, as you mentioned, the schedule, Iowa's soft schedule and in 25 points a game. Can we talk about it's 25 points per game. It's not 25 offensive points per game, Tyler. How many defensive touchdowns Ooh. did Iowa score last season? How many times they punt returned that set them in position? How many times had they been 
put in a good field position by a kickoff return. I mean, look at the language that is. I mean, I Cooper DeGene was tied for the team leader in reception touchdowns until Luke Lachey got his fourth one in the bowl game. And Cooper DeGene, by the way, is Iowa's star cornerback who's likely going to be a first-round pick in next year's NFL draft. So I think that's important to note as well. Um, but again, week schedule, Iowa's over-under is 7.5, and, and the expectations in Iowa City – I think are 10 wins and a trip to Indianapolis at this point. And I think Cade McNamara would say the same thing because there's a lot that leads me to believe he wants some revenge against Michigan in that, in that uh, big 10 title game. Well, man, we, we, I'm getting excited for the season with these couple conversations about these games. We have a ways to go. We got to enjoy our summers here a little bit before we get jump back into the fire of the football season, but really excited for this one. Excited to get you into town in late September, 8 PM kickoff CBS. And, and we'll be in the press box for it. David Eichholt, great coverage of Iowa Hawkeyes. Appreciate you jumping on with us, and we'll do it again before that matchup for sure. Always, buddy. I appreciate you having me. All right. Good stuff from David Eichholt of the Iowa site here at 24-7 Sports. And prior to that, we had Stephen Brooks, who covers the Michigan State Spartans for 24-7 Sports. Uh, Really excited to talk to those guys as the season gets underway. If you follow our podcast in season, you know that once we get going with matchups, we tap into our 24-7 Sports Network and bring in uh, the people who know everything about the opponent and give us the lowdown ahead of those Saturday showdowns, or in this case, a Friday night one as well. Uh, For now, we'll step aside, wishing you all a great Memorial Day weekend. We'll have a lot more of our coverage coming in next week. Prospect camps set to come to Happy Valley. Official visits on their way as June gets underway. A lot going on at Lions247.com. Ramping up with the recruiting coverage right now. A lot of VIP access uh, for 30% off for an annual deal or $1 for one month if you want to take a quick test drive and see what we've got cooking behind the scenes. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks again uh, to David and to Steven. We'll be back soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast.